everyone had to confront the big question, who is Jesus? I can tell you right now, before I even begin, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our king. I pray today that you know that he is your king. Well, I think we should read that passage. Let's all turn in our Bibles to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, and we're going to read the first 11 verses of Matthew 21. Matthew 21. I see you all turning in your Bibles. Wonderful. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus said, uh, had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. Father, as we open this passage this morning, may each one of us in this room just allow our hearts and our minds to be focused very succinctly on who Jesus really is. And when we look at the scriptures, it is so clear from the beginning to the end of the scriptures, Old and New Testament, they point to this one who would come as prophet, priest, king, Messiah. And Jesus fits all of that. And we just today lift up our voices in praise to Jesus, Messiah, King. And may we leave this place prepared for this Friday and then Resurrection Sunday. And this we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, did anybody get to the 100th Grey Cup anniversary of the Toronto Argonauts? Anybody was there? I was there. I was there. I really hadn't been to any football games in my life, to tell you the truth. But I got to go to that one, and what a party. I tell you, going down the streets, the front, that front street there, they closed everything off. There were thousands of people there. And they were hooting and hollering, and, and they were uh, saying the Argos were the best team in the world, uh, you know. And it was true. That day, they were. <laughs> Not so much today, right now. But that was a party. It was great. I was involved. I felt the energy. I felt the scene. It was really cool. Um, but that's one kind of party. Now, was anybody at the Queen Elizabeth's inauguration in 1953? No, nobody there? 
Now that was a party. I've seen that only on film, black and white. It was an amazing day. And here we get a little closer to what we're experiencing today in the text. Here was a coronation. It was of a young lady, a very young woman, becoming the monarch of a, a, a very mighty nation. Uh, and uh, it was a special day. It was a special day uh, as you look on that film to see that crown being placed on her head. And now, some 70 years later, she's still serving her country, still serving the king of kings. As far as I know, she knows him personally. But that's still not quite what happened on this day some 2,000 years ago when Jesus entered to the, into the city of Jerusalem. The city was jam-packed. Try to capture it with me, this image, this feeling. It was jam-packed because it was Passover time. And every man 20 years and older was required to come and celebrate this great feast. Uh, the number uh, attending was so many. Some uh, historians believe there were over 2 million people in that city, which is um, huge for that time. That was jam-packed at the time. And they were to celebrate this Passover, something that had been told to them by God to celebrate in remembrance some 1,500 or so years earlier. And Jesus comes in. Now, it could have been the Sunday. Some um, theologians think it was on Monday. It doesn't matter, does it? We celebrate it today. And he's coming in just before he is about to give up his life forever. He had been ministering through Galilee for some three years into Judea. And now he was determined to go to Jerusalem because he knew his father had called him to do this. And he was willing and ready Jesus was to be the Passover lamb. And this city really didn't know what was about to happen. He was to be their Passover lamb. He was to be our Passover lamb. This day, he offered himself as king of Israel. He presented himself. Uh, typically, you know Jesus as you look through the Gospels. He didn't seek to make a commotion. It did happen, but he wasn't there out there. Hey, disciples, go out there, get all the crowds, bring them in. The crowds came because they saw the miracles, they saw the character of Jesus, and they heard the good news that God had a plan for their lives. But on this day, the approach was a little different. Everything Jesus did on this day, as much as any day, was purposeful and planned. Uh, Jesus came in and presented himself as a king so that no one could say to him, uh, we really never understood that you were the king. We didn't get it. Uh, no one could ever really say, if only we had had the opportunity to embrace you, Jesus, as the king of kings. He stripped all that excuse away and he presented himself to the city and to the nation of Israel as their king. And so with that in mind, let's look at the passage a little bit more. A passage that really emphasizes that Jesus is the king of glory. And not only that, first of all, that Jesus came as king in peace to bring peace. Think about it. 
Jesus came as king in peace to bring peace. It's truly the climactic event next to the crucifixion and his resurrection of his life. Um, Just recently, before this event, Peter had made an astounding statement. Do you know what Peter said in a few chapters back? He said, when Jesus said, who are people saying I am? And they say, oh, some say you're prophet Elijah, some say this, some say that. Um, John the Baptist coming back. Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus asked Peter, who do you think I am? Very pointed question. And this is what Peter said. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter had come to the place, he got it. He knew who he was. Uh, even though he was going to fail in a few, uh, few days, uh, Peter knew who he was. And as he made that declaration and as he started to make plans to go into the city, the, I can only imagine that the disciples were there saying, okay, we're going to Jerusalem. Jesus is about to make his move. Because, you know, they all misunderstood to a greater extent who Jesus really was. They knew he was a prophet, priest, knew he was king, but they thought Jesus was going to become the king of Israel right there and then and kick those awful Romans out. Been under the oppression of the Romans for a while now. They'd been under the oppression of so many. They'd usually go through being under oppressed, Egypt, Babylon, whatever, and they'd get free of those groups and then they'd get oppressed by another group. They've been through this so many times, they're hoping maybe this is the time, the last time someone would oppress us. But no, at this Passover, it wasn't about getting rid of the Romans. It was a totally different story. And we know what the Passover is all about, Exodus. In Exodus chapter 12, uh, Israel, you remember this? Israel is in bondage to Egypt. And uh, God raises up Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. And so to do that, God makes himself known to Pharaoh through a variety of miracles, none of them which were pleasant. But the last miracle was, uh, pardon me, the last miracle was the worst of all of them. It was so unpleasant that it took the firstborn of all, except where by faith, the people of Israel took a lamb, a spotless, perfect lamb. And they slayed that lamb and they took that lamb's blood and they painted it basically over the, the doorframe of their house. And as the angel of death came by, the angel would see the faith of that home by obeying God and putting the blood of that perfect spotless lamb over the and he would pass them by. And that commemoration continued from that point on right even till today they still in Israel have Passover remembering what God did for them you remember what John the Baptist when he first saw Jesus coming down that road he said here he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world well here we have Jesus beginning his ascent into Jerusalem to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 1 says, Matthew 21, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus sent two disciples. They were coming from Jericho, traveling east, and they were going up to Jerusalem as it is. Uh, Jerusalem is, is kind of on a 
they call it a mountain, but it is a very large mountain, mountainous region, hilltop. Came to Bethphage and, and then to this town on the slopes of Mount, the Mount of Olive. Now, Kathy and I have been there. Both of us have been there at least once. I've been there twice. Uh, you've been twice too, haven't you? Yes, that's right, for God. And it is spectacular. It is emotionally transfixing to walk up that and to see this about two-mile ridge raising up towards Israel. And, a, and you're on the other side of the Mount of Olives. You're there in, in these, this, these olive orchards and you're looking across the, the Kidron Valley, the Kidron River, and all you see is Jerusalem. Oh, if you've never been to Jerusalem, Come along with Kathy and I. It is awesome. And you see the holy city in all of its glory. It's a panoramic view and it is spectacular. And that's where the disciples were directed to go. And they were directed to find this home where this donkey, this donkey and its colt were. Mom and, and babies, so to speak. And to bring that, those animals to Jesus, it says in verses 2 and 3, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Interesting. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at one. His, specific, his instructions were very specific. His knowledge as God, man, was very clear. He knew the donkey, knew the colt would be there. And they're to say, the Lord needs them. I don't know if this person knew that Jesus was there and that uh, he was going to have to give up his animals. Maybe there was a, a, a miraculous dream that happened. I, who knows? doesn't matter. He heard that the Lord needed him, them, and he gave them freely. And I don't know. It just reminded me. It just made me think of how God prepares people to do great things out of what he supplied. And I asked myself that question. What has God given me, supplied me with, that he's calling upon me to use? No, I don't have a donkey. I don't have a colt. But I have myself, my heart, and the things that he's given me. Has, what has he given you? What talents? What gifts has he given you by the Holy Spirit? And is he calling you to use them? I can promise you, the gifts and talents that you have, he is calling you, calling upon you to stretch and to use them for his glory. So today, one thing I want you to think about is what has God prepared for me to do for his glory? Those dear animals were used to help bear the glory of God. Uh, what's even more important and more astounding in these verses 4 and 5 is that this was the culmination of a prophecy that had, hap that had been given some 500 years earlier. Uh, can you just put this in your head that God allowed Zechariah to prophesy about a simple thing as a donkey and its colt that it would be used to bear the king of glory. Zechariah 9 9 says, This took place, or pardon me, verses 4 and 5 quoted from Zechariah 9 9. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, 
the fall of a beast of burden. When we think about Jesus' life, it's marked by really two things. One is that his overriding purpose was to fulfill the will of God. To fulfill the Heavenly Father's will. That's all he wanted to do. And going to Jerusalem at this time was fulfilling his father's plan. And the second thing is to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. The the Old Testament, how important it is because it speaks of the coming Messiah. We can look back into it and we can see the Messiah's character, his qualities. We can see all that about him. But most, to, to me, the most astounding is that we can see specific prophecies of who the Messiah will be, what he will do, when he will do it. Jesus didn't do anything without purpose. And this riding on the colt, and and maybe even on both animals, was a fulfillment of prophecy and a fulfillment of his great purpose for being in the world. Jesus came as king, but he came as a gentle king. He is the lamb of God. We don't think of the lamb being a vicious uh, animal, do we? We think of the lamb as a gentle. He came as the gentle, loving king. And that donkey was a symbol of humility and peace. Jesus came as king in peace to bring peace. As you look in verse 5, the prophecy refers to the Messiah as your king. Uh, the entrance into the city was really totally out of the norm to which kings would normally come. If you think of the kings of history, did they come riding on a little donkey or the foal? No. Um, rulers and kings came on magnificent steeds. Uh, I think of high silver right now. <laughs> but they did, didn't they? They came with thousands of shield bearers and they came in gold encrusted uh, chariots they came in a show of power and Jesus the king of all kings came riding on a lowly beast of burden a symbol of humility I want to let you know though when Jesus comes again in his second coming no one will be laughing I think probably the Roman soldiers that were watching this were probably laughing Thinking, here's the king. (laughs) Look at the king on the donkey. They won't be laughing when he comes again. When Jesus returns, he will come as a conquering king. Revelation 19.11 says this. Then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. That's what is going to happen when he comes again. But Jesus came as one to come in peace and offer a way to have peace with his father. Even many, many years before that, Jude 14 says it was also uh, about these that Enoch, remember Enoch, the one who didn't die but went straight to heaven? The seventh from Adam, 
prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Now that sounds like it. That sounds like the king of kings. But Jesus is going to come to judge at that time. When he came, the first coming was to offer peace to all. And he still, to this day, is, has his hand stretched out. And he says, will you receive my peace? Jesus is the king of peace. Uh, the only revolutionary idea that Jesus had in his heart was to topple the rule of Satan, the influence of Satan in every one of our hearts. He wants to be on the throne of our hearts. So we see, first of all, that Jesus came as king in peace to bring peace. Secondly, Jesus came as king and was celebrated by the people. There's no doubt that that day was a day of celebration. Let's take note of it in Matthew 21, 6 to 8. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. Uh, they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their uh, put on those animals, their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The, the disciples, in simple obedience, go, they get the, the animals, and just think about that. Uh, you know, disciples probably were scratching their head a little bit, but they just did exactly as they told. I, I want to be that kind of a disciple. I just want to follow Christ's command, my Father's commands, simply and quickly and obedient, no matter what he calls upon me. Is that what you want to? Because I've learned throughout scripture that obedience brings, you'll always want to hear this, obedience brings blessing. If you look throughout all the scripture where God calls on his servants to be obedient, what does he do? He blesses. And so I want to be an obedient servant. I want the blessing of God, whatever that might mean. Um, historically speaking, it tells us that they were laying their cloaks on the donkeys, but not only on the donkeys, but on the road. Um, when kings and great monarchs would come to cities, oftentimes what would happen is that uh, people would bring out their carpets even, some of their best carpets, lay them on the road as uh, a sign of reverence, a sign of respect. And this is what they were doing. What do we have? We'll throw our, our cloaks down. And then they went and cut branches. If you go to John 12, by the way, all four Gospels have the account of this special entry of Jesus as king. And in John 12, 13, we see that they cut branches from the palm trees. And even the children that were there, Matthew, a little later in this passage, Matthew said the children that were there, and they put the, the palms on the road, and they waved the palms in the air in celebration. The crowd just wanted to have a celebration of this one that they had heard so much about. Because many of them were pilgrims. They were coming from Galilee and then from Judea and they were moving up for the Holy Week. And they were familiar with Jesus. They had seen his miracles. They had uh, heard or been maybe fed by Jesus on those uh, couple of occasions where he fed thousands in one shot with so little. Maybe they were there when Lazarus came out of the tomb 
Can you imagine what that must have been like? Stinky Lazarus coming out of a tomb after being many days in that tomb? They knew Jesus was special and they were going to celebrate that. However, did they really know? Did they really get captivated in their hearts and mind that he was their king? You see, a lot of them that day would be the ones yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. Yeah, we'll take Barabbas instead. Crucify Jesus. So I think this crowd really didn't fully get it. A lot of people don't fully get it. A lot of people like this crowd may thought, we like Jesus for what he can give us. You know, they want to cash in on this great prophet, and it happens today. Even today, there are those uh, outside of the family of God, even inside of the family of God, that almost use Jesus like a good luck charm. Isn't that true? They, they look for what Jesus can give rather than what they can give to Jesus. Maybe Jesus will bring me better finances. I'll pray for better finances. But, you know, oftentimes we keep on spending that which we don't have. And we still pray, God, give me more money. We pray for physical health. Yet we do the things that don't help our body. Uh, we pray to be in a better standing uh, at work or in social. We don't do the things that God says we can do. We just hope that he will be our good luck charm. Today in 2022, that's far too often the same case. Our greatest need is not only, is not any different. We, we need to see the real Jesus, not the good luck charm. He is not, he is a king of kings. How dare we think of him in terms of what we can get from him. We need to understand that he, Jesus, came to die for our sin, to pay the price for our sin in a most horrific, horrible way. Why? Because he loves us. And because his way is the only way to know and to have a certainty that we have a right relationship with the Father. If he never does anything else for me, but give me that forgiveness, which I desperately need, that's more than enough to merit my loyalty, my affection, and my eternal devotion to him. If he never does anything for me other than what he has already, which is the most amazing, amazing thing, I owe him my whole life to give him glory. Okay, let's settle back into the text. Jerusalem is abuzz a with excitement um, about this one. So many have heard about and so many have personally seen. The crowd's hearts are stirred with hope. Is Jesus the king that's going to set us free from the Roman oppressors? Um, and so as they see him come in, they shout, Hosanna. He is hoping that he will save them. Again, people want Jesus on their own terms. And typically people will not bow to a king unless he's a king that fits their liking. Is that true? And they were hoping Jesus would be that great emancipator from the Roman legions. 
I, I think it's really important for us. Let me, let's just chat for, about this for a second. It's important that for us as believers, we need to understand Jesus didn't promise release from all the suffering in the world. He didn't promise that we would never get cancer. He didn't promise that we wouldn't be in a car accident. He never promised that we wouldn't have emotional pain. He did promise that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us in the midst of those challenges. He did promise us that we can find comfort in the midst of that. We can know for certain that this world is just a passing world, that this is not our home and that it'll all be behind us one day. And if we just rest in him, no matter what the pain is, no matter what the challenges are, he will walk us through. As a matter of fact, as one poet said, he will carry us through that pain. What he did come to do was bring us peace through the offering of his life. Because every single person that lives, has lived, will live on this planet is an enemy of God until he finds peace through Jesus Christ. So, first of all, Jesus came as king in peace to bring peace. And yes, Jesus came as king and was acclaimed and celebrated by the people. Wonderful. But thirdly, Jesus came as king and was crowned with praise. All of this rightfully so. And verse 9, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem... Now he's actually in Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? I, I kind of wonder, they haven't got it yet? And here's what the crowd said. This is the prophet Jesus from Naz Nazareth of Galilee. The progression continued to grow. Can you imagine the friends? People are saying, what's going on? Some ladies are in the houses making bread for the day. Some men are uh, talking in, the, in, the, in their centers and maybe having a latte and going, uh, what's the commotion? What's going on? And then they come out onto the street and, the, and the, th the throngs, the crowds are growing and they're hearing them singing. Probably they're singing from Psalm 120 to 134, the Psalms of Ascent. Matthew noted uh, in, in verse 15 that the children were there and, and this is what they're saying. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Uh, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Pardon me, Psalm 118. That's what they would be praising God over. They shouted to Jesus and each other, uh, Hosanna to uh, the son of David. Hosanna, save us, we pray. And in doing that, they acknowledged at least to a certain level his power and they, they were calling out to him as a petition, a prayer. And they called out these meaning-filled titles. First of all, son of David. They would understand what that means. That was a title given to the royal lineage of King David. And we all know in the, in the Old Testament that the, the coming Messiah could only come from the house of David. They knew that. David's descendant would inherit what was known as the Davidic covenant and Jesus was of that lineage. 
the eternal throne forever and ever. They called him, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, Psalm 118, uh, Psalm chanted all major festivals. And it was implicit identification of him as Messiah. Now, whether they were saying that to be nice or not, we don't know for sure, but I don't expect that they totally understood who he was, as I've said. Then they said, Hosanna in the highest. They're calling out even to the angels in heaven to acknowledge this Messiah that was coming up into Jerusalem. All these designations refer to Jesus as Yahweh's representative, the Messiah, the Christ. I like how Luke in the other passage about this in Luke 19, 39 to 40 says this, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, now the Pharisees, they're in the crowd now, they, they've started to hear this commotion. How can you miss a, you know, hundreds of thousands of people going up into the city with this uh, prophet on a colt? And they, they said, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, they were talking to Jesus himself. I can imagine walking right along. Jesus said, teacher, rebuke, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent the very stones would cry out. This was not a normal event that Jesus would say, uh, if these people did not declare and, and shout out who I am, even the stones would speak. So this crowd is shouting out these meaning-filled titles. And they were getting it Probably not fully. The atmosphere, it says in Matthew, was so charged that the city was in such a state that the whole city, it says, was stirred up. That's an interesting word in the original language. It's a word that is, uh, that is um, we get the word seismic from. So in other words, what this original language word is saying is that the city was shaking with such an enthusiastic uh, entrance of Jesus, of Jesus. The whole city was quaking, not physically, but they were quaking mentally, emotionally, and many spiritually who fully understood what was happening. But in that, the Pharisees, and those around were asking one important question. The question that we began our time together with. Question is, who is this? Who is this Jesus? And really, everyone in this room, all of you who are watching online, it's an amazingly insightful question. Because the answer to it can either take you a long way from God or can bring you right into the bosom of the Father who will capture you and hug you and, and bring you in to his family if you accept who Jesus really is. Who is he? The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus. Now, they weren't wrong, were they? But really, they should have said, this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the one who will save you from your sins. He is, as the prophet John said, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. And so we come to this point right now, I'm asking you, is that who you believe Jesus is? See, committing one's heart and mind to accepting and receiving Jesus as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the one who saved you, the, the Lamb of God, is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. This Lamb of God, who in Luke chapter 19, it, it, it talks about him entering the city in the same circumstance, and it says in verse 41, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And now they are hidden from your eyes. So many in Jerusalem, so many today, uh, have allowed their eyes and their hearts to be hardened because they don't want to accept Jesus for who he really is, the king of their lives, king of our lives. They don't want to, we don't want to surrender all that he might be the king of our lives. What a man of contrast. He came not to to uh, be served, but to serve. He came uh, to say, the first shall be last. last." He, he came, said, listen, I want you to live your lives like I will. Turn your other cheek. He was such, he was so outstanding. He continued, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's gotta be one of the hardest ones. Because some of my neighbors, you wonder, how did they ever turn out like that? I know they're saying that about me too. <laughs> but Jesus, he came to bring peace and to allow us to be far different than what our old nature wants us to be. That triumphal entry represents so clearly an upside down value of the kingdom of God. He came to turn everything on its head Jesus radically shifted the world's paradigms of greatness, showing greatness to be found in humble service, not arrogant rule. And so he came in on some beasts of burden. I read this, and I don't know where I got I wish I could give you the author, but I found this, and I just, I love it. Talking about Jesus, he who is the bread of life began his ministry hungering. He who is the water of life ended his ministry thirsting. Christ hungered as a man, yet fed the hungry as God. He was weary, yet he is our rest. He paid tax, yet he is the king. He was called a devil, but cast out demons. He prayed, yet he hears prayers. He wept, but he dries our tears. He was sold for some 30 pieces of silver, Yet he redeems sinners. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Yet he is a good shepherd. He gave his life. And by dying, he destroyed death. That is Jesus. King of kings. and Lord of lords. Lastly, Jesus wants to be your king. Will you receive him? This entry into Jerusalem for this purpose of dying did not happen by chance. Jesus was not taken by surprise. He knew exactly 
what he was going to do. He knew that he would end up on that hill called Golgotha on a tree with his hands and feet nailed to it to pay the price for our sin, for my sin. He predicted it over and over. And the people calling him king, even though they thought he was coming to be king over them in a time of Roman occupation to get rid of the Romans, they would eventually have to recognize and realize he's not that king. He is a king over my life, spiritually. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. They and so many over these last 2,000 years have failed to recognize what he was all about. Maybe it's because they, too many of us don't want to because we know that the cost that he paid would require us to give up a life that we want of pleasure, of our purpose, but not his purpose. The greatest need of those Jewish people and us is not freedom from tyranny around us, but is a release from the chains of our own sin. Do you recognize Jesus for who he truly is? From the time of Adam and Eve, nothing has changed. The issues and the issue is the same. If we follow Christ because we think he will shield us from life's hardships or heal all our sickness or guarantee prosperity, we're headed for disillusionment. He came to free us from the bondage that sin brings and has us in. If we renounce sin, receive Christ, we now live in total freedom. And yes, he becomes our king. So I ask you one more time, who is Jesus to you? I can tell you. I'm going to give you my testimony right now of Jesus. Jesus is the king of my life because at one time and always he has loved me wherever I was at. I am Alan Butrin and I am a sinner saved by grace. And when I was 16, he said, Alan, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, if you will just trust me as your king, surrender your life, receive me, I will never leave you and I never seek you. And he has never failed me. He is my king. And I have not been a great subject at too many points in my life. I have failed Jesus over and over. And he keeps saying to me, it's okay, I'm with you. I love you. Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. I want to say it too. I'm the chief of all sinners. One sin over another sin is no greater. And my sin is great. Yet Christ is greater than all of my sin. And he keeps loving me. He keeps loving wherever you are at today. Maybe you're having a rough week because this week you didn't follow your king as you knew you should have. Fresh start. He's your king. He's your lamb. He loves you. Wherever you're at, he loves you. Say it. He loves me. One more time. That's what I want to hear. He loves me. No matter what sin is in your life, maybe there isn't, and God bless you. 
But if you're like me, I'm always at work. I'm a work in process. He loves me. The second thing, what happened when I gave my heart to Christ and he became my king, is he gave me hope. And he gave me purpose. That happened to you? When you trusted Christ and you surrendered your heart and your life, did you realize soon as you, not very long afterwards, now you have a new purpose in life. First in all your, of all is your purpose is to bring glory to the king, to point to the king. And I've loved doing that all my life. And there's times when I should have pointed to the king, opened my mouth and shared a word of testimony. I was too afraid. And he says, don't worry. It's okay. I'll give you another opportunity. I'll work on that person on my own. But for me, one of the greatest things to do is to share in my life, in my walk, uh, in my actions, in my attitudes, that Christ is king. And in my words as well. You come golfing with me and I'll, I'll get you for four hours and I'll tell you all about Jesus. <laughs> You're mine for four hours. That's, that's what happens often. I go golfing and the, and the guys that I'm golfing with say about the second or third hole, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a beautiful moment, Lord. <laughs> I say, well, I, I, I serve as a pastor. Gulp. And then they go, what did I say? What did I say? What did I say? But when I came to Christ, I, I gained a, a purpose, a life purpose. And he gave me hope. The hope was that I could keep growing to become more like Jesus. And it wasn't going to happen overnight. But I had the hope that God would make me more like Christ and make me a real useful servant for him. But it all began with one simple thing. Hearing the call of God and surrendering my life. Surrendering my heart and receiving him as king and as Lord. Well, folks, that is a triumphal entry of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Will you join us on Friday to remember our Messiah, our great King's sacrifice, Jesus, Savior, and Lord. Join us. And if you're listening online, if you're here in the Durham region, we'd love to have you join us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can remember uh, our Lord, our King's tremendous entry where thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not more, were praising him and rejoicing over him. Yet, so many didn't realize truly who he was. I pray today and around the world that many will come to understand that Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.